The Down Below podcast was our last best hope to analyse. A self-contained podcast, who knows how long, located between your ears. A place of discussion and fun for newcomers and veterans alike. A shining download online, all alone on the web. It was the dawn of the third age of podcasting, the year the introcast wars came upon us all. This is the story of a Babylon 5 introcast. The year is 2014. The show, Down Below. Oh, hello again, everyone, and welcome to Down Below, a Babylon 5 intro cast. I'm Will. Hi, man. Hi, I'm Heidi. I'm Elizabeth. Well, today we are very pleased to be joined once again by a frequent visitor to Down Below. Welcome, Shane. Hello, hey, Shane. It's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while, but glad to have you back. Definitely. I'm pleased to be here. Well, today we are here to discuss episode 15 of season 2, and now for a word, but first, here's an ISN special report. Tune in this week for a special full-length ISN report. The Interstellar Network News presents 36 Hours Aboard Babylon 5. Cynthia Torkman will bring you a behind-the-scenes look at the crew, ambassadors, and drama aboard the station. Hostilities escalated while Cynthia was reporting and will be covered in detail. Tune in for your first look. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program. Hi, I'm Nukchas, the host of Nutty Bites. And hi, I'm Tech, Nutty's regular guest. Or antagonist. Our podcast is like a call-in show where geeks get to debate topics about speculative fiction. We don't really debate. Sure we do. We debate topics such as lame superpowers, the best villains, and our favorite apocalypses. We more like rant, rave, and then have massive nerd rages. People call in from all over the world, sometimes minor celebrities, and we've even had some supervillains show up. You ever notice that you never have any superheroes or good guys? I'm a good guy. Compared to what? Antagonist. Not really a guest. Nutty Bites. Nimlast.org. And now for a word originally aired May 3rd, 1995. It was directed by Melissa DeLeo, who last directed All Alone in the Night. And it was written by JMS. She gets some good episodes. Yeah. So let's get started with the recap. And yeah, this is a change of pace kind of episode. So it was a little weird trying to do a recap of this, but I think I was hitting most of the high points. So it, the date is September 16, 2259. It's, we're on ISN. It's bringing us a special 36 hours on Babylon 5. The host is Cynthia Torkman. I kept calling her Torkman, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Cynthia Torkman, and she's broadcasting from the ISN News Center in Geneva. Cynthia Torkman is played by Kim Zimmer. She's been on a lot of soaps, and she was on MacGyver a bit. Her name probably comes from 
Tomas de Torquemada, who was a prominent leader in the Spanish Inquisition. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So she says that humans have established outposts in 14 solar systems, and only the Mars colony is more controversial than Babylon 5. B5 has defied all the odds and is still operational, but back home there is a growing dissatisfaction with all the resources that are being used to run the station. You might have heard a bit of that in last week's ISN report, hinting <laughs> at that. So they spent 36 hours on Babylon 5 and they learned to expect the unexpected. We get a nice few facts in this, I think. Yeah, right. yeah, that's what I was just going to say is that I can't believe how much information was scattered throughout this episode. Like, right. I felt like I need to watch it like five more times and just write down everything. Well, I'm sure we're going to bring up some of them. For one thing, humans have only um, been an interstellar race for a hundred years. Uh huh. And was, yeah, it, yeah, was okay. it was 14 solar systems? Was that. Yeah, colonies on two dozen worlds. Uh, One thing JMS pointed out was that this was about Babylon 5, the documentary, but you really learn a lot about Earth and humans. Yeah. Oh, exactly. It it feels very, very much like almost a jumping on point. Everything you've learned over the past uh, year and a half is almost said in this episode. Right, yeah, that was one note I saw that JMS was saying that the next few episodes would be a great time to jump on. So this episode was sort of meant to kind of get people prepared, the people who may be new viewers. Yeah, you learn a lot here. Yeah. Right from the start, you're immersed into 2259. It's it's not just you're watching Babylon 5, you're watching a documentary from 2259. Yeah. Oh, yeah, what was that thing? It said something about, um, on the bottom of the screen, it said, like, hypertext. Yeah. Uh, hypertext I, I, Yeah, it's, I think it was their version of what um, you'd be able to do with your TV in the future. You know how you got the thing in um, Star Tro- Troopers. Click here to learn more. And nowadays... Oh, we, okay. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 was, I, I, was, I was taking it as an the future version of closed captioning. That's kind of what I thought it was, but I don't know Maybe, what hypertext uh, is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was more, you know, hypertext available. So, you know, you, you'd see the news report and you'd get, from our point of view anyway, a web page up with more detailed information of what's going on. Kind of like you can do on uh, a lot of the TV station websites now. Like you can watch... I don't know. I think I was watching Survivor on CBS's website and like something scrolls over at the side and then you can click on things and it takes you to other pages while you're watching the episode. That's the impression I got anyway. I mean, because we got no distinct uh, meaning out of this, We, you know, it could just be, you know, closed captioning. But I don't think so. But I, I think it was good that they added a lot of information because I think if they had done this with only giving us information we already knew, it would have gotten boring. You know what I mean? Right, like yeah. you would have been like, okay, what, you know, just rehashing things we already knew. But they dribble a lot of 
of really good stuff in there. And I was like, oh my God, okay, this is new. I love it. <laughs> when the IS crew arrives at Babylon 5, they witness a battle where a Narn vessel destroys a Centauri vessel. And uh, Twerkman says they'll be exploring this during the special. Yeah. Um, credits. I think this is really good because it this is almost handheld CGI. And this is way before BSG. This, I mean, well, one thing, this is the first TV show to do CGI graphics for space battles. And in their second series, they're experimenting with handheld CGI. <laughs> yeah. It's just really incredible. It's They're not happy with just doing being the first show to do, put CGI on screen. <laughs> So they have some mission of interplanetary expeditions where they a sponsor or something. Yeah, were... okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of two adverts you get, and as I said, you're immersed into the world. Oh yeah. I think we've heard IPX mentioned once before. Right. Weren't they the one that sponsored the? I don't know the uh, what is it called the Akaran dig? Yeah. Yeah. But, Somewhere in between the last time we heard about IPX and now, it's gone from the super secret company to one that sponsors TV shows. Oh, it wasn't super secret? I don't remember that part. Okay. Yeah, no one had heard of it, apparently, but it was this organization that, you know, funded the um, archaeological dig and no one on the station had heard of them. And now they're sponsoring, uh, you know, primetime TV shows. They're moving up in the world. After the opening credits, we have Cynthia showing the dead and wounded being brought onto the station. She tries to speak to Dr. Franklin, but he's too busy. Sheridan doesn't have a comment, but they have sent a wing out to find the Narn transport and bring it back. Again, I like how it's all handheld here and it feels fairly frenetic and it feels, sorry, it feels realistic. Feels like a scene out of VR. <laughs> Next, Londo's being interviewed. He says this is the kind of action that endangers the purpose of B5. It was reckless and irresponsible and that the Centauri would never endanger the humans for no reason. Man, they were really, really like showing his duplicitousness or his his ambassadorialness if you will yeah it's just flat out lying and <laughs> yeah but i mean this is all the majority of people will see so he's got to put on that facade and if you think about interviews you've seen from politicians this is what you always get from them yep Next, uh, Jakar is being interviewed. He says that Londo is lying. Um, the Narn government didn't sanction the attack, but he's going to issue a statement after he's spoken with his government. Uh, next we see, what's her name? Cynthia. Uh, she's mm-hmm. talking about how many people come through Babylon 5 in spite of the dangers. And she wonders who would call a place like this home. So she goes to speak to but next we see Eduardo Del Vientos, who we last saw in By Any Means Necessary. Mm. And he's just as horrible as he was back then. <laughs> I was like weirdly excited. 
Yeah, I was like weirdly excited to see him. I was like, oh my god, I know who that guy is. So he says that this is just a job, and then he refers to the uh, pay cuts and whatever was happening back in that episode. Yeah, it's uh, flashing like, look, look, we're calling back to past episodes. Yeah. And next we see her speaking to somebody named Second Lieutenant David Corrin. He looks a lot like Clarence. (laughs) I, I really must say that I think Clarence is his middle name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He goes by Clarence, but uh-huh. his yeah. name is whatever, whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a great interview, though, because you've got a Vardiver in the background. And... Right behind, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. He keeps uh, looking oh. at her out of the side of his, uh, like, just from the side, you know, answering very diplomatically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's great. I, I love you get his name in this, uh, but you haven't heard it yet. <laughs> It's just there in the credits, and <clears throat> look, this background character has some lines and something good yeah. to say. So uh, yeah, she's speaking to Sheridan next. He says there's an attraction working out there in the New Frontier, and he talks about his past a little bit. And she asks him about the administrative changes at B five, and <laughs> mentions former Senator Hidoshi. Yeah. Senator Hidoshi gets a name check and apparently isn't in office anymore. Yeah, yeah, I wonder what happened. Sheridan says that changes are part of military life. Quick, quick note on that. If they're using the U.S. electoral system, which I'm assuming they are, we had an election at the start of season one. So even if they had midterm elections, that wouldn't have been to the end, the start of season three. So. He wasn't elected out of office, so something else might have happened, must have happened. Mm. I think he just quit because he got tired of Sinclair calling him. Yeah, but Sinclair's <laughs> not on the station anymore. Yeah, it was before Sinclair left. It was after, what, the Doc episode. He said, I quit. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. <laughs> I can't so believe there was a scandal and he had to resign. Mm. Yeah. yeah. A sex uh, scandal? A sex scandal, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um... Ah, sorry, I was going to say something I need to check with Will first. Okay, um... So next we're talking to Dr. Franklin. He says that people back home don't understand how dangerous space can be. And he talks about his first time on a transport and how a friend of his hit in one of the airlocks and accidentally spaced himself and... Doesn't think it's funny to joke about shoving someone out of an airlock, which is something we hear a lot on <laughs> sci-fi TV shows. Yeah, this was like very, I don't know, very serious, and which Dr. Franklin usually is. But I was just like, oh, <laughs> wow, <Uh-oh>. okay. <laughs> As I'm rewatching some BSG episodes where they're sending people out the airlock. Hmm. And the first time it sounded to me like he said that he accidentally pressed the button which sent his friend out the airlock oh. and then I rewound it. But it said that his friend did it. Yeah, I kept thinking like the whole time, why is there a button that's so easily mispressed inside <laughs> the airlock? It's like the giant red button that you do yeah. not press. You could accidentally press it? I don't know about that. <laughs> but it was like it was just like quintessential Dr. Franklin type of story you know very serious yeah and it was sort of music it was sort of like okay why is this story here like i i 
Oh, I get wait. that she was, you know, what she was asking him and stuff. But still, it was like, okay, really? You're going to, like, bring this up now in front of this reporter? And just a little they, bit. They left that story in. It's, I'll get to it later. But if you actually watch this as a documentary that was actually intended to be made, and when it's made, rather than as a TV show of a slideshow program, uh, you can go into several different things of why they've edited this this way, why they've left this story in here, for example. It's no, so it was more out. why would Dr. Franklin say it to this Yeah, to be fair. In this context. Right. I don't know why he'd say it. <laughs> See, that's my question. I know why they'd put it in. I mean, it's compelling. Yeah, that was kind of like a little, that's one of the things, one of the, just one or two things that bothered me about this episode is not, not just specifically Dr. Franklin, but some of these people were, like Sheridan, for example. He was, he was saying things that he probably, definitely shouldn't have and probably wouldn't have said. Uh-huh. Yeah. And like, I can see it from, say, like Garibaldi, like you could get anything out of him, really. But yeah, Sheridan, I think, would be a little more tight-lipped. Yeah. Like Ivanova. Maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or something to the Ivanova. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, yeah, we'll just compare briefly to that, but when she says that, Anne calls her perky, Ivanova gives her <laughs> such a look. <laughs> but she controlled herself. She didn't, you know, snap at the reporter. Mm-hmm. She actually handled everything the best of everybody, really. Yeah. Way better than Except- Delenn. <laughs> Oh my god, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Next, Twerkman is talking about all the incidents that have happened since B5 came online and wonders if B5 is serving a useful purpose. And she does actually say, you know, the airlocks are more secure here, but she could have said, except for one incident in the first year where an ambassador... Car's first aid mysteriously had an accident with an airlock. Oh my yes. god! Was that oh. on B five or was that somewhere else? No, it was know. on B five. B five, I think. Kodaf had an accident with an airlock, but no one talks about. Poor <laughs> Kodaf. Yeah, well, I, I love this particular scene because it's all the people behind mugging to the camera. Oh, they yeah. really are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a director who knows what they want out of their extras. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and what kind of alien was that? Does anybody know? Um, I think, well, several times throughout the episode, there were more caps. Um, was like seen the, more, the, the bigger head, the, the, the kind of wider head on the top? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, pro- I'm, I'm trying to pick out, because you guys keep saying, like, Drawsy and other things, and I'm just trying to figure <laughs> out what they look like exactly but I can't quite do it. Yeah, I know it can be tricky sometimes. We need a visual guide, right, Elizabeth? (laughs) Oh, that would be awesome. (laughs) I think I have a Star Wars visual encyclopedia. Is there something like that for B5? Um, Not that we could look at it yet. (laughs) Yeah, that's a problem. There are, but they'd be spoilery, I think, because they've put out a lot of stuff, haven't they? Not quite, actually. There are are making-of books which are non-spoilery. Nice. I, um, I thought they were all spoilery. No, um, uh, I can't remember what it was called off the top of my head. It's not easily available as I, as I sit here. But uh, Channel 4 Books did a 
season by season making of guide. Ah. Oh. Which, and that was being, the books came out as the show was being filmed. I think I vaguely oh, okay. remember those, seeing them in shops. I had, I, oh. I've got all five somewhere. Well, you'll find, sorry, uh, Shane, you'll find this interesting as a UK resident. The first uh, Babylon 5 VHS I brought was from Woolworths. Oh! That's <laughs> <sighs> nothing to do with the episode, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I would, I would tell you my uh, uh, VHS Babylon 5 story after we finish recording. Okay. <laughs> Jakar issues a statement. He says that the Centauri ship that was destroyed was carrying weapons of mass destruction that was being shipped to the front lines of the war and they won't allow this to continue even if it means shutting down B5 but he's also using the media to relay this message because he's thought about this and how it looks at least from his non perspective this is a show of strength with he, you know a load of nines behind him He's trying to impose, you know, trying to look very imposing and use this as a show of strength, but not quite getting how the human media works, maybe not quite conveying the image he wanted. And there's always weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. Yeah. If anything we've learned from media, there's always weapons of mass destruction. So next, Torkman says that uh, President Clark is very popular being that because he's focusing on things back home and wonders how much time and money should be invested in B5. Well, that actually mm. comes from, the, from what she calls the newly formed Office of Public Morale. Yeah. Okay, I missed that one. I am, yeah. I am. I am not. I am not going to say what I'm thinking because this we could get into a big political discussion between oh, me and yeah. Ian. <laughs> and not gonna... uh, well, maybe not between us. Maybe it's just there will be a discussion if we go too deep into things. It's just we don't know where <laughs> each other stands on things. So, um, well, I'm, I'm, all I'm, all I'm going to say on this this particular thing, I'm just going to give four letters out. U K I P. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. I don't I know what that means. <laughs> okay, but yeah, the statistics that uh, Talkman is quoting come from the <coughs> Office of Public Morale. Yeah. Uh, mm, it sounds like it, it also sounds very like 1984, you know. Yeah, propaganda. Mm. She speaks to Senator Ron Quantrell, who is the chairman of the Babylon 5 Senate Oversight Committee. The guy that's been pushing all these things on B5 we've been seeing over the season. The guy that started charging them for the rooms. The guy that's got them to open a, um, you know, toy shop on the station. And I weirdly didn't recognize him at all. (laughs) He's played by Christopher Curry. He was, he's been in eight episodes of Heart of Dixie. I've never seen the show. He was in an episode of Castle called Hunt. Ah. And he's, he was in Starship Troopers. 
he the Senator Quantrell thinks they should try to make it work because Babylon five was important to the old president Santiago. It's costly, but you know, he says it was built after the Earth Membari War and if the war was fought today, doesn't think it would go the same way. So he's not sure Babylon five has much concrete benefit, but it does keep them visible. What do you make of what he's been saying in this, you know? I don't know, Elizabeth. I just think that he's talking when he shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, about that things would have been different. I, I don't think there's any way that you can know that because you don't know. They still don't know how advanced the Mimbari are. And like it comes up later, they didn't lose. Really? Yeah, also, sorry, Elizabeth. No, no, go ahead. No, no, really, go ahead. (laughs) Okay. Well, I was just going to say, like, it just, to me, it sounds ominous, like they're building up. I mean, it's just, like, he's basically saying, like, we're really building up our forces, and I don't know, it just just seems to me that this is going to come up again. Like, like they're feeling pretty cocky. Um, They must have, maybe, I don't know. Who knows, maybe some of the Akaran weapons that they took are going to play into this, or some other technology that they don't know what they're doing with, um, <clears throat> they have a false belief in. Yeah. Uh, just... You know that the humans aren't just going to stand back and go, okay, other races are more powerful than us. Right, exactly. Yeah, well, that that's a big bit of what he says. The bit he says before that, though, I've just found a typical politician's doublespeak where... You can actually read that two ways. He's making sure he covers his arse here by saying, yes, it's important we try and make it work. It's expensive, but perhaps it should be allowed to do what it should, i.e., this is an expensive, outmoded place that we should just let itself run itself into the ground. That's really what I think he's saying here. But the words he's choosing, you know, he can always backtrack on anything he's saying. Well, he's not being, like, definitive about what he thinks. But it kind of, like, speaks to, and I don't remember who said it, but was talking about the president's focus more on Earth issues instead of, you know, alien or non-Earth issues. So it's kind of like he's he's going along those same lines. Like, he's clearly sided with the viewpoint of the president. Yeah, I mean, later on he says something along the lines of, if we weren't there, lives wouldn't have been lost. I.e., if Babylon 5 wasn't there, that conflict between the Nyan and the Centauri later on wouldn't have happened. Well, yes, it would have happened, just somewhere else. Right. Uh, But at least humans wouldn't be involved. Isn't that better for us? Right, yeah. So Sheridan disagrees with the senator. He says that They haven't fully recovered from the war and aren't nearly technologically advanced enough to take on the Minbari. He thinks uh, the senator is kidding himself. Uh, He talks about how. Like, this is so undiplomatic and terrible. The officer would never do this, ever. Especially on the record, especially on camera. Yeah, he started off with all due respect, which means he's about to say (laughs) something. (laughs) Well, (laughs) with all due respect, i.e., He's due no respect whatsoever no. from me. He's spe- yeah, he's speaking a load of old garbage. Yeah. 
No, he talks about how they lost the war, and Torkman's like, uh, we didn't lose the war. And he's like, okay, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you don't actually know why the Membari surrender, and I can't talk about that. Right. Technically, yeah, we kind of lost the war. Oh, wait, no, no. <laughs> They're about to wipe us out, but, yeah, we won. Yay, us. <laughs> <laughs> So next, Torkman goes to see who runs Babylon 5, and she goes to CNC to speak to Susan Ivanova. <laughs> oh, uh, I really think that was deliberate bit of the script, you know, because reporters always get names wrong. Yeah. Well, and if you just read her name, too, it's easy oh, yeah. to mispronounce it, and so I think they were probably going with that, too. Yeah, I think so. It's kind like, of like... It's kind of like how in, I think it's the fourth Harry Potter book, that uh, I think Hermione explains to like Victor Crumb how to say her name, because so many readers of the books did not know uh, how to yeah. say Hermione. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I never knew it until I saw the first movie. I was like, oh, that's how you say uh-huh. it. <laughs> because I've been listening to the audiobooks all the way through, I knew how... How Hermione was meant to be saying, because Stephen Fry tells you. Yeah. So Ivan Nova is investigating Jakar's claim, and she tells Torkman a little bit about herself and how she joined Earth Force, and <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't tell anything else about herself. And next we see she, Torkman, <laughs> Torkman is interviewing Garibaldi. And, and she, yeah, the question she asked, it's come up yet again. What do you want? Uh, he wants to get through this interview without getting fired. Yeah. He, Don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> he says he gets up and hopes nothing will happen and he just has a boring day. And he also hopes that he'll make a difference in what they've done. There will mean something. And then he gets a call from Ivanova about the investigation that she was doing. Next, Torkman starts talking about the aliens on the station. She's in the alien sector. Aliens make up about 42% of the Earth, of the station's population. I thought it was interesting how she was saying that the, that they refer to us as aliens. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, that dramatic yeah. way she said, Beauty and the Beast oh, yeah. are in the eye of the beholder. Oh, <laughs> When the Park is walking by. Yeah, but that's exactly the sort of cheesy line you get from this sort of documentary. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. The most elusive of all aliens is Kosh Naranek. Oh Naranek. my gosh. Did I, I say his name right? When she said that, I was like, wait, really? He has, like, <laughs> a last name? I know. Well. I thought he was, like, Cher. Yeah. <laughs> Ian, I may be wrong about this, but I think that is a title. Uh, is that correct? I'm or not sure. I think it is, I, but I, I believe, I'm not I, sure. I, I believe you're right. Narenic is the title. Yeah. Okay. I'm saying no more about that because it's going to be spoilerish otherwise. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So, like, his his title, like, like say, Commander or Lieutenant... Like that kind of a title? Sorry, if you can't say anything, I don't just know. say no. <laughs> I'm saying nothing on that. I'm sorry. Okay, that's I okay. can't. 
a few minutes, a few moments before they got a glimpse of Kosh and they show their ISN exclusive where Kosh just blows them off, I guess. Well, it kind of looked like Kosh got caught on a camera just as if he's a celebrity coming out of a bar. And... TLD. Yeah. Yes. It, totally. It's, oh, it's a press. And she acts like she just got the best footage that she's ever had. I was like, <laughs> really? You, you're so excited about that. But, you know, you see yeah, well, Vorlon well, spacesuit. Yeah, well, think about what she's been saying about, you know, no ship has come back from Volon and space, uh-huh. and the yeah. only reason we've seen Volons on B five is because we're watching a show about Babylon five. And maybe and... they think that they just saw a Volon and they really didn't. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? Like because the, um, the she did talk about the encounter suit, but but still, like there's that saying, you know, don't look upon a Volon and live. To- tell about it or or not go crazy or whatever they said before so maybe that was part of it it's like oh my gosh i saw one (laughs) yeah so like kosh is like bigfoot really yeah second in elusiveness is delin so after delin initially refused several of their requests but then she agreed to do an interview oh delin yeah oh naive delin she tells them a little bit about Minbar, about how they have three languages, how some of their cities are cut out of crystal formations. See, this was this all first... interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I thought you'd like this first part of the interview. You get to hear more about Minbar. Yeah, I liked that, and I was like, okay, I could go on listening to this, but this reporter does not want to hear that. Yeah, she's a d- to Delenn. Yeah. As she goes on about how the war and about how humans might resent Delenn's change to make her look more human. And. It's heartbreaking. It really is. Yeah, Delenn mm-hmm. gets called to the council chambers, but. Yeah, don't you make Delenn cry, you heartless woman. Oh, God. <laughs> really? I was more mad at Delenn for crying. <laughs> I don't really? know. I just. Yeah, I, I mean, I just think the reporter is. It's just asking like the question that you would want you would ask. I mean, yeah, of course she was a little harsh about it, saying, "Well, I think I know what people are going to say," but I don't know. She should have been more prepared. I think. The thing is, uh, saying that, so, so, sorry, and I'm going to have to come out on on, on this. Uh, Dan asked repeatedly, "Can we stop the interview?" And did uh-huh. they stop the interview? The cameras kept rolling, and she doesn't realize that that's how reporters are. I'm sure, and like doesn't have this background information of okay this is what a human reporter will do to you Um, yeah so she wasn't prepared she's also been rejected by her own race and now she's been rejected by humans as well Uh, it's yeah imagine that i think that it was a great thing but i mean i'm just saying like it annoyed me that like she would come unprepared and then start crying i don't know it just didn't seem like something that like, from the beginning, we've seen her as a very, like, I don't know, just a very, like, wise person. And then all of a sudden, now she's reduced to this person that just starts crying and, you know, just sits there while they're filming her and asking pathetically, you know. I'm, I'm saying pathetically in the actual definition of pathetically, but, like, you know, to please stop the interview, you know. I don't know. I just didn't like how they portrayed her. Well, she does have human emotions now. But JMS did say that this was probably her first encounter with Earth's media on this level. 
she's never been in a situation like this before where she's being challenged on screen and this would be the height of disrespect back home yeah so she's uncomfortable in the first place and then yeah she's emotionally vulnerable and then this just becomes too much for her so it's been building over the past couple of episodes and it just happens to boil over on camera which is incredibly bad luck for her but even if you've got really good emotional control if you've been hammered at over weeks and weeks and then something like this just tips you over the top you, you anyone's gonna break but but what kind of reporter would film that sort of footage and want to put it in a documentary well i think we have to step back and say that we're watching a tv show and, and I know, I know, but... Oh, the doc, it's put in the documentary for a very specific reason. It's its fulfilling an agenda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of like recently, like I think a reporter was interviewing Bill Cosby and brought up all that controversy, and he was saying, shaking his head, no, I guess he didn't want to talk about that, but the reporter kept asking him about it and... Yeah, it's kind of like... Was it Fox News by any chance? <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember okay. who was doing the interview. <laughs> uh, so next, uh, Torkman goes to the council chambers. Jakar says that Ivanova's investigation has yielded conclusive proof that this Centauri ship did have weapons. Sheridan says that they filed a complaint... Lando says that they um, transfer these weapons outside the stations and their ships have the right to carry whatever they want. Uh, Jakar is saying that there are more Centauri ships and he wants them seized. Lando won't allow it. And Jakar says they can't allow the ships to leave and the lights dim. Ivanova calls and says there's a shooting war going on. I'm trying to find information, but it really seemed like this was all one shot. I can't see whether it was or not, but I really like how that changed the dynamic of this because usually you're cutting from one character to another and it's, you know, everyone's got their place, whereas this, everyone's got to hit their mark and it's got to go past really quickly. Yeah, I didn't notice that, but I think, yeah. Torkman's walking through the corridors and alarms are going off. People are being sent to shelters and ISN is plugged into the external camera so we get to see what's going on outside the station. The Babylon 5 Star Furies are trying to get everybody to surrender. Mm. Although the, I find the interesting bit is we're seeing what happens inside Babylon 5 when there's you know stuff going on outside. You see that you know people are being sent to shelters or back to their quarters and it's like an air raid yeah in cnc sheridan's getting a damage report the hostile ships are starting to fire on babylon 5 ships lundo and jakar are saying it'll be an act of war if anybody fires on their ships but sheridan has people to defend so he tells delta squad to fire at will uh Port we are. Why are they firing they at you, Will? What yeah, have you done? <laughs> <laughs> so they destroyed some Narn vessels and the Centauri 
ships, the other Centauri ships have surrendered. So Sheridan wants them all to be brought in and thrown in the brig. And Susan stops them from saying something harsh in front of the camera. I think she did. Yeah, she did well in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> the camera's around. She's definitely, I think, the most diplomatic out of any of them. Yeah. Definitely. I'm diplomatic by saying nothing. Exactly. <laughs> right. Next, we see some Narn being taken into custody. Torkman talks to Jakar, and he explains how 150 years ago, the Centauri came to their home world. The Narn greeted them in peace, but the Centauri put them in chains for a 100 years. But eventually, they were able to drive the Centauri away. He tells a story about how he got involved in the resistance. His father was apparently, he apparently died after spilling drink spilling a drink on the mistress of the house. And the next day he killed his first Centauri. She brings up rumors that the Narn aren't doing so well in the war, but Jakar says that Centauri propaganda. I really thought you'd have something to say about um, this because before we were wondering what the timelines were and more about Jakar's history. Yeah, this was good. all really good information and nice to nice to to hear it, especially directly from Jakar, like we kind of, you know, get his personal story here. Yeah, and he's actually not trying to play the politician in this interview. He's trying to um, give an, what at least he thinks is an honest account. And he actually tries to appeal to humans who he's done his research, who he knows has gone through oppression as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he is playing a politician. <laughs> I suppose so, but less He's so than Londo. He's being a politician, yeah. Less so than Londo. He's less obvious about it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And now we see the other side of the story. Londo says that the Narn were primitive when the Centauri met them, and they brought the Narn centuries ahead and were repaid with terror and death. They came to help the Narn, but they only left because of the cost involved. They weren't driven off. They said if the Narn had asked him to leave, they would have left. But he said they want only peace. The Narns were the one who declared this war. Of course they did. Yeah, um, um, this story completely made me think of um, like Native Americans. And yeah. uh, just you know, it, it kind of mirrored it. And um, yeah, of course they would have left if they would have told them to and and we were just there to help them yeah he's rather uncomfortable when you see what's happening you know whitewashing history and oh which i guess he wouldn't be playing on on all um humans emotions here but a good portion you know humans tend to conquer other nations or at least um at least nations who are weaker than they are you know just looking at human history yeah and also think about what humans think of the centauri centauri have been brilliant to humans they've actually Mm -hmm. really helped us out i've got a question for you though uh we don't obviously that we don't actually know how how old dondo actually is but one would assume he's less than he's less than 100 years old right so (laughs) how much i mean I'm not denying this is Centauri propaganda here, but I wonder how much of that story is taught to young Centauri 
So the so Rondo's not lying in the fact he's 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 telling he's telling the reporter what he thinks is the truth, but he's been fed uh, Centauri propaganda when he was a young well young Centauri. Oh, that's mm. a nice point of view. Yeah. 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 yeah, definitely. You'd have you definitely have that sort of thing going on. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but that's not the way that they played it here. That's that's not what we were supposed to think. I don't think. I think we were supposed to think that he was just lying. You know, I didn't get yeah. a sense of like that he really believed it. And you've also got to think, seeing these two C's back to back, what would the Centauri have done? if they discovered humanity were less primitive when they made first contact, you know, would they have done the same thing they did to the non? Yeah, they thought we were a lost colony. Then maybe they would have tried to claim mm. us back. Yeah, but yes. we were a bit too advanced for that. So instead, we can make a profit out of them. We can sell them jump gate technology. So next, Twerkman is in CNC when a jump gate forms almost on top of the station. A jump point. We've got jump to. Point. Sorry, I, right. I don't want to confuse Heidi and Elizabeth. Because... Yeah, later in the episode, I made a point to say jump point, but I, yeah. I forgot at this point. So what? What's the difference? Right, jump gates are actually devices that get built that can open a jump point inside where it is. Whereas okay. jump points get o- can be opened by a ship with powerful enough engines at any point in space, basically. Okay. Okay. And the ship is a Centauri battle cruiser. Lando says he warned them not to interfere, but he has to act in their defense so other people won't try, won't think that they're weak. Uh, the cruiser's going to blockade B5, but won't use deadly force unless provoked. You've got to wonder how much of what Londa says is actually coming from his government directly. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't seem like he would want to threaten B5. Oh, no. But his government would be bothered. Yeah. And after this, we see a very creepy Psychor commercial. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, it's really done. But I yeah. don't know about you, Shade. It kind of had shades of um, the um, government videos from the 70s and 80s. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely, definitely. definitely. The PSAs. Yeah, the PSAs. Yeah. All that was missing was a random minor celebrity. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm just thinking back to the Green Cross Code with Mm. David Prowse. Yeah. It reminded me of, at Universal Studios, they have a um, Terminator, like, 3D experience ride thing. And before you go in, they have uh, TV screens that have, like, commercials for Cyberdyne. And so it's like the computer's tucking your children into bed when you can't be there to say goodnight or whatever. It totally just reminded me of that. It was that creepy. Oh, it really yeah. is. Uh, I was really glad that it was a commercial, though, because at first I was like, what is this terrible child? And I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, he, oh, thank God, it's a Psychor commercial. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's exactly the sort of badly acted 
government commercial you'd expect. Yeah. Psychor wants you. Yes. <laughs> oh, it, it's quite sinister when, you know, it says we're everywhere. And he makes it sound like such a beautiful thing. We've even got uh, yeah. <laughs> mobile test yeah. centers. <laughs> yes, it, it's so comforting. So little Johnny was played by John Kristen Grass. He's had roles like boy, small boy, kid number two. <laughs> she really went somewhere. He was in Kindergarten Cop, though. He hasn't been anything since 99. Oh, he was in Kindergarten Cop? Yeah. Oh. I kind of recognized him. Maybe that's what it was from. His horrible mother <laughs> is played by Leslie Wing. She was Mrs. Bolton in those high school musical movies. Okay. And the Psycop was played by Granville Ames. He was the transporter chief in Star Trek Generations. And he was an episode of The Pretender. She got a link back to intro. To oh, XML. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, go with it. So the subliminal text during the Psychor ad was saying the Psychor is your friend, trust the core and yeah, they had to Extra creepy FC- if the if the uh advert didn't creep you out this well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean I, I I get that we were supposed to see that it was there, but otherwise it's terrible subliminal advertising because <laughs> it's totally obvious. Yeah, I Not think subliminal uh, at all. I think it's one of those things where you're you meant to suspend your disbelief that yeah. if this uh-huh. was real, you wouldn't notice it was there. But because you're meant to see it's there, you know it's kind of obvious. Yeah, the FCC has a weather well, definition that subliminal is two frames per second, so they had to make it four frames per second, so it wouldn't really be uh-huh. a real subliminal message. <laughs> so that we all wouldn't be like, "Yay, Psycorp!" Wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's nicely done, though. That if you think about it, you know this—that's a regular advert. That must, you know, adverts like that come on all the time if you're watching TV. Yeah. So after the commercial, the crisis hasn't diminished. They're having a closed council session. Um, traffic has come to a halt outside the station. Sheridan leaves the meeting. Says that all sides are talking. She brings up that the Senate has suggested that they accommodate the Centauri, but Sheridan doesn't think they'll undermine him. Jakar comes out and says that this action proves that the Centauri are a menace to more than just the Jakar, and they're going to do whatever it takes to make it clear that this kind of thing can't be allowed. So they're talking to the Senator again, Quantrell. He says that this is emblematic of what people back home have been worried about, that Earth is getting involved in something that doesn't concern them. Um, says something about what happened next came with the reluctant support of Earth Dome, but hundreds of deaths. Yeah, again, trying to wash our hands of anything that's going on and trying to promote the viewpoint. Yes, we shouldn't get involved in anything like this. Look how stupid it is. Yeah, and then he's. No, no, is he flirting with Cynthia? He says, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you made it out alive. Uh, I think it's more that we need reporters like you, Cynthia. Yeah, yeah. yeah we need all the good reporters. Yeah. I like your interpretation, Will, though. <laughs> 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 well, he's uh, actually the guy Spouter of um, Earthcom. <laughs> <laughs> so next... Um, 
says 10 minutes ago, Sheridan received the coded transmission from Earth Dome on the current crisis. Oh, this is Cynthia saying this. Um, after negotiations, they were allowed to go back to CNC. So Sheridan contacts the Centauri cruiser and says that Earth has rejected the demand to release the Centauri ships. They've activated their defense grid and will defend all the coming and going ships. And then he tells the CNC not to respond to any message they get back from the Centauri cruiser in response. He doesn't think they'll fire on B-5 because it'll bring Earth in the war on the side of the Narn. So they send out a transport ship on autopilot just in case Centauri aren't bluffing. And Saint, uh, Sheridan <laughs> wrote down Sinclair. Sheridan says that they're to open fire if the Centauri weapons even target them. So the transport ship goes through and the Centauri don't fire. So this starts a celebration in CNC. A Narn cruiser comes through a jump point at this point and the Narn attack the Centauri ship and they fight each other and some weapons fire hits B5, but the Narn ship destroys the Centauri ship. And when the Narn ship tries to leave, it can't get through their jump point and it explodes. Just up at the ante once more in the war between the two of them, really. That, that's all this scene is doing. Yeah, and it just so happens that it is happening when there's a reporter there. Yeah, doesn't look good for B5. So back in the studio, Torkman says that these events aren't indicative of a typical day and maybe you know, everyone should give Babylon 5 a chance to realize its dream. But flashpoints like this are going to continue to grow. And it, it, it's, it's really interesting how she uses this language here and how she actually places what she wants to say. So she says something positive first, but then says something negative. So you'll remember the negative thing rather than the positive thing. You'll remember, oh, Flashpoint that, like this, I'm just going to grow. Look, Cynthia Talkman said it on ISN. You won't remember, oh, but this isn't typical. Yeah. Right. Well, but they also ended it with a bunch of people saying how, you know, positive things about the station as well. So they had a lot of positive things to end it, right? Because everybody said... Yeah, that they, they did, but I think... I think that's... One bad part about the episode that's breaking the format a little bit because it's it it's Babylon Five as a show trying to say something positive at the end rather than the documentary ending in the way the documentary should, in my point of view. Well, yeah, I think he does that. <laughs> yeah, he likes to do that. So after the crisis, Torkman. Asked everyone if it's worth it given the danger. Garibaldi says, absolutely. Lando says, yes, they have to make sure that this thing never happens again. Chakar says he doesn't know anymore. Ivanova, yes. (laughs) 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 Delin says, of course it is. And she talks about how humans are really great at building communities. The senator says, we'll just have to see. Franklin says if they weren't there right now, half the people in the room would be dead. If they weren't there right now, half the people in the room would be here. They'd be up fighting in a war and probably would be dead, but you can't say that for certain. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) 
Delby Intel says, yeah, he's got to make his pension. And Sheridan says, yes, because they're in the process of building the future. And that's what Babylon 5 is all about. The vo- and that's the voice of the author. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's a shame sometimes Babylon 5 does this. It does it really well. And the sentiments are brilliant. And the speeches are great. But sometimes it's JMS speaking, not the characters. And Torkerman signs off, and that's the end of the episode. I did see that Bill Blair once again was an alien. I wonder if he's one of the people in the background. He might have been the packed morale the that comes out of that's the alien sector and yeah. gives Cynthia that dirty look. Yeah, that was one of my guesses, but yeah. Uh, so I have a few more notes. JMS thought this episode would be really popular. He thinks this is the first time this kind of thing has been done in sci-fi television. I, I think he was probably right. That I can't think of a sci-fi show doing this prior to this. We've seen it since quite a few times. But prior to this, I think this probably was the first time. Uh, not in, it's been, It was done several times before, but not in science fiction. That's Actually, what I meant. Right, actually, right. Uh, I need to so bear with me one moment. We'll actually Google our dates. Okay. But it may it may not have been the first. So bear with me one moment. We'll Google our dates. What was it? What was the air date for this? Well, uh, May third, ninety five. Then this would actually be, this would have been the, the, at least the second science fiction thing oh, to do something like this. What was the one who did it before it? It was it was a, it was a made for television movie, but it was something called Without Warning, made in 1994. Ah, but that that is a standalone thing. This is a format-breaking episode that's in an ongoing sci-fi series. So, I think for what it is, it's the first. Well, that's true. JMS was worried that Warner Brothers wouldn't approve it, and he wrote a letter to them saying he wouldn't. You know, ask for payment until he knew they would accept it and let him make it. And finally he heard back and they approved it. It was supposed to be kind of an exercise. He kind of wanted to, uh, says in a theater training where there's an exercise where you're told to talk about a subject but never use the word I. So you end up telling them more about you than the subject you're speaking about. So that's how he kind of did this where it's a story about B5, but you're telling a lot about Earth. It sort of like seems like one of those things that Joss Whedon does when he like wants to stretch his writing or directing skills, like say Hush or Restless. Yeah, I think it was along those lines. It was also done, I think, to expand the universe as well. To show, rather than showing us, showing you Earth, showing you how Earth views things. You know? Yeah. 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 And and it's interesting because I feel like a lot of this could have been done just like through exposition in a scene. And it was done through exposition because everybody was just talking, talking. And yet <laughs> I don't feel like I just got a whole bunch of exposition. Yeah, it wasn't midnight on the firing line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did notice something on this rewatch that I've never noticed before uh, and it kind of bugged me to be honest with you uh, right at the start of the episode on the in Cynthia Tortman's opening piece to camera just before the 
just before the uh, credits. The mm -hmm. camera is really, really shaky. Yeah, that's a bit... Uh, I didn't notice it, but if it's there, it, that's a bit of a shame. Mm. But again, it's, t it's news um, production. Sometimes news cameras do shake a bit. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I wonder if that was one of those... We have to show that this is a documentary, so we have to mm. have a shaky cam. Although mm. ISN um, center um, where they broadcast, it's it's a weird set they've got, isn't it? You yeah. know, there's this one. Your main presenter is on this pedestal. It's it's odd. It's futuristic. Yeah, <laughs> they have to be a little bit different, right? Hmm. Yeah. But uh, uh, as I said, I like how this is edited, and because I've done a bit of um, stuff with the uh, TV, at least in education, um, uh, when I was seeing it this time, especially, I was seeing the way this story is crafted as a documentary to start to sow doubt. I think in people's mind of whether Babylon Five is such a great thing and it's you know yes yes we of course we're of course we're unbiased and independent but all of the things that are meant to show them being unbiased and fair are actually undercut by everything else that you know all the good points they make about Babylon 5 are almost immediately undercut by something else apart from the end sequence. And that's why I don't feel it quite fits. I guess someone asked JMS why the reporter didn't talk to Talia. And <laughs> it's probably the only one who noticed she wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> and JMS said because the story wasn't about what it's like to be a telepath, it's about B5 and those who run it, and Talia doesn't directly work for B5. And Talia wouldn't have... Um wouldn't have helped the uh, the Psychor cause. That was the job of the commercial. Yeah. <laughs> Although you could have had an advert with Talia in it and said, join Psychor, it's great! No. <laughs> oh no. That would have been really, really weird. <laughs> really bad. That would have been weird part perfect. of the episode. Yeah, it would have been perfect with the commercial. <laughs> it would have been creepier. <laughs> but like a just in talking about JMS, I'm just I'm just flabbergasted how he can write so many episodes and and be a showrunner for this show and produce it. I mean, I don't I don't get it. How does how does he sleep? <laughs> I think he has several clones of himself. Yeah, I mean it's crazy. Like you have to produce an episode every couple weeks, and he's writing. Yeah, I just wonder. Yeah. Well, yeah, and episodes yeah, don't just take a week to work on. It's like a whole long process. So. Yeah, I just wonder like how far ahead he was at this point, like in his writing and. Yeah, he must be really good yeah. at planning. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, well, of course he had to change some of the stuff at the end of the first year. So not only is he really good at planning, but he's really good at compensating for changes. I think you know. Right, Connie. Yeah, well, not even retconning, um, changing direction, because, you know, he would have had a whole thing set out for 
Sinclair, and then when Sinclair wasn't in the picture anymore, he had to introduce Sheridan and work the story around him. Oh, that's all I have. Are we ready for quotes of the week? Yeah, but I don't have any. I think I think oh. my uh, <laughs> uh, they were not helpful on IMDb because I usually go and look at the quotes. And there was like three, and they were all just kind of not that great. So um, I think maybe Clarence, I don't have the exact thing, but he basically said that no one gets upset on Babylon 5. Yeah, I've got that quote. quote. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm covering the very beginning bit out, but he says, it's a calm and pleasant environment. I don't think I've seen anyone here get upset. Oh, sorry, I don't think I've ever seen anyone here get upset. <laughs> my only one was from Ivanova. Yes. <laughs> oh, that was my other quote. Which, yes. <laughs> the first one. <laughs> I have a Londo one. He said, well, I'm sure, because it's the whole leading to that is, I'm sure there's more to your story, Commander. <laughs> yeah, and then it's, yes. <laughs> sorry, Elizabeth. Um, yeah, I have a Londo one. Um, he says, they were the ones who declared war, remember? Not us. We want only peace. Well, my quote has already been said by Will <laughs> in the episode synopsis. Oh, was, was it, it? we everywhere for your convenience? No, it was the Mocha Garibaldi, what do I hope for? I hope to get through this interview without getting fired. How's that for a start? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to do a uh, thing from the um, cycle advert, but I can't remember it now. Because there was a really cheesy line and I can't remember it. (laughs) There were several. Yeah, I know. Oh, no, no, that's it. The the cycle um, rep appears and it's, Look, Mum, it's a (laughs) psychop! It should be said with much more fear. I know. Yeah. <laughs> there was a quote from um, Jakar. I was just wondering. He said, um, when he was talking to the reporter, he said, we are already in more jeopardy than you can possibly imagine. Was he referring to the um, the beans, the space fighters? Or, I mean, it seemed like he was referring to some other something other than the current confrontation or... Well, the current war. probably. Yeah. Maybe he was. Um, you, it's just you've not heard him talk about them for a long time. Right. And then on the other side of things, he's at war with the uh, Centauri. He's trying to get allies. I think another view could be that he thinks if the Centauri aren't stopped, everyone else is going to um, be in trouble. You know, because they'll just stop picking on everyone else. But both both readings could be true. Now let's do characters of the week. Who's our human of the week? <laughs> I think it's got to be Ivanova. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I was say exactly <laughs> of course that. it is. I'm going to be the only one voting for the reporter. Ivanova was brilliant. Second place goes to David Clarence Corwin because <laughs> just with a couple of lines, he, David Clarence <laughs> yeah. Corwin. 
Who's that? Oh. <laughs> Clarence. Clarence. Oh, Clarence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah, because even just with a couple of lines, he did. He was almost as good as Ivanova. It really feels like he's Ivanova's protege. Yeah. I hope he gets to be character of the week someday. Uh, who is our alien of the week? We got. I don't know. I want to say Delenn, but I don't oh, know. she breaks my heart. I don't really. She breaks my heart, but sorry. No, no, you go ahead. You go ahead, and sorry. But you know, you got an appearance briefly by Kosh, which I exactly really what I was funny. about to say. Exactly <laughs> what I was about to say. It, it's just <laughs> brief appearance is really. It's just. I, I really wanted to swear with this, but I won't. It, it's oh no, no, no. Yeah, it's just, even though he has no expressions, it, it, the scene, re, as I said, read brilliantly like he's just been caught doing something dodgy. <laughs> my, yeah. my, he was my smoking weed in his encounter suit. Yes. <laughs> my, my, my brain has just gone to a, a cartoon place, you know, when the legs are moving, but the person isn't. Yeah. But then, you know, uh, and I think, you know, Londo and Jakar are being too much politicians for us to give it to them this week. I would have actually voted Londo because I thought, like, I don't know, his whole thing was just, he was just so unapologetically uh, just creepy in this episode. Like, this total liar. And I mean, I know, of course, like, people don't know that he's lying necessarily, but I don't know. He, like, had a really big effect on me because to me, like, He's really come from being this kind of carefree jokester into being this serious, like, politician um, supporting this war. And I don't know. He just changed a lot. And I thought it was kind of interesting. So we have Dylan, Kosh, or Lando. Unless <laughs> um, you want to nominate someone else. <laughs> well, if I did that, then Kosh would... Uh, automatically win so maybe i'll do that because really i don't i couldn't decide like i think i could go with any one of them this week so i'll give my vote to jakar and kosh can have it so um okay go with kosh <laughs> okay that works for I me think, <laughs> I, I think carl will be happy <laughs> ivanova's running away with this and didn't she win last so year far, as well I think so. Um, Delenn is doing well on it. Snow Sinclair won. I think Ivanova was second. Uh, yeah. So now let's rate this bad boy. You want to start us out, Shane? Oh, yes, please. Uh, I absolutely love this episode. Um, but I love the uh, fake documentary genre. Uh, I always have done. Judging going all the way back to um, the early 90s and something called Ghost Watch, all the way through to um, uh, Blair Witch Project and everything else in between. So I'm going to have to give this nine and a half out of ten. Watch, what's my rating systems? I can't think of a rating system actually. It's just gone straight out of my head. Uh, nine and a half out of ten. Pine cones. Nice. How about you, Heidi? <laughs> Pine cones? Yep. Um, 
I also really enjoyed this episode. I love it when TV shows do something completely different, and this was really great. I did have a little bit of problem with some of the character stuff that we talked about. Like, why would this character say this at this time? And, um, and you know, they should they should know better kind of a thing. So I'm going to dock it a little bit, but it's still going to be a 9 out of 10 creepy Psychor commercials. Cool. How about you, Elizabeth? Oh, yeah, I really like this one. Um yeah, I I was really pleasantly surprised when I saw it. I was very excited, and I liked how they kept it up through the entire episode and even put in those commercials and um, gave us new information. Um, again, like Heidi said, there's a couple of things I didn't like so much about some of the interactions with the characters or Sheridan saying things maybe he shouldn't have said, and uh, I did not like what they did with the land. But, um, uh, yeah, 9 out of 10... Clarence forever. Oh. <laughs> and if you're wondering where I get my Pinecone reference from, if you go way back to the beginning of the episode and you get the CGI uh, shot of the bridge of the Haridashi or the Haridashi, uh, there is a, it, there's actually a Pinecone air freshener in the window. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, that's wow. brilliantly So what do you think, Ian? Well... Again, I liked it. I've been saying throughout the episode that I don't just love the content. I love the way a documentary is put together properly here. It, it, it's not just a TV episode um, in a sci-fi series. It's also a news documentary with a specific agenda. And I love how they meld the two together. Um and the only thing that doesn't quite work, but it's still really good, is the um, monologues at the end. It, some of them really do sound like JMS. And although they are really great sentiments and inspiring in some ways, don't quite fit the rest of the episode's theme. So I'm just going to not kick down to 8 out of 10 Pretentious <laughs> Okay. Well, yeah, I really enjoyed this episode as well. This was one of the ones I was looking forward to when we first started the show. I loved, we finally got a name for Clarence or a nickname for Clarence. Um, and I love the, just the change of pace and documentary format. Yeah, there were a few moments that felt a little cliche, the typical, you know, reporter kind of moments and smarmy reporter, but I still enjoyed it a lot, so I'll give it 9 out of 10 words from our sponsor. <clears throat> so again, so our total score is an 8.9. Nice. Nice. So now let's take a camera crew and head on over to Feedback Land. I did feedback in the order we received it this week, so our first piece of feedback is a comment on our website from Board99. I'll take this one. Okay, just how are you going to do the ISM special report this week? Well, you've heard it by now. Also, Clarence has a name now. He's also been given a scene that should have been Keffer's, damn it. If my memory is correct, and now for a word gave me completely the wrong idea about the series, and I'm grateful to it for that. The spoiler-rocious lurkers guy indicates what's obvious in any case. 
It was intended as a catch-up episode to introduce new viewers of Babylon 5 to the characters and setup. This is exactly how I, as just such a new viewer, took the episode when I watched it for the first time. It's the first episode that I'm practically certain I first saw on its original broadcast. So I made the sensible assumption that everything that I saw was a fixed part of the premise of the show. All shows came with reset buttons after all. Specifically, I assumed that the Narn Centauri War was an element of the status quo. This added to the boom factor I, when I saw the coming of shadows after this episode, again if my memory is correct, and realized that this basic fundamental aspect of what was driving the plots of individual episodes had only just started. It's not how Babylon 5 was meant to be experienced, but it's not the worst way. Thank you, Gord. Yeah, cheers, Gord. Our next feedback is an email from Yan. Who wants to take that one? Yan says, Hello, fellow lurkers and down below. Here is a bit of feedback for Season 2, Episode 15, and now for a word. The prediction from the previous episode was spot on. Congratulations, that was not so difficult, was it? No, not really. Did you notice the name of the ship the ISN crew arrived on? It was the Heyerdahl. Heyerdahl? Heyerdahl. And we learned that B5 orbits a pl- orbits a planet orbiting the Epsilon Eridani. That pl- that places B5 about 10 light years from Earth. Not that far, actually. I kind of like this episode. Clarence gets a name, David Corwin. We get to see most of the main cast. The Narn, the Narn Centauri War escalates out of control while the ISN crew is on B5, and we get to see quite a bit of Londo and Jakar. Jakar tells his version of the story of the Centauri occupation. Londo tells his. Who would you believe? One, both, or none of them? It's probably a combination of the two somewhere. I just could not help laugh at the comical scene with people acting out in front of the camera behind the reporter. Apparently nothing has changed in the 23rd century. Propaganda abounds here, Narn and Centauri, of course, but the biased reporting was heavily shining through. What is going on back on Earth? The Office of Public Morale sounds a bit ominous to me. Don't you just love to hate Senator Quantrill? He is creepy. I found the, um, interview with Delenn really disturbing. <clears throat> Not the most professional reporter I have heard of. Delenn is clearly in distress when the reporter starts her tirade. The Kosh appearance scene was just hilarious. Typical um, journalism. This episode, Ivanova seems to channel Lanier when asked about her past and not giving too much information. And did you notice how the reporter constantly mispronounces Ivanova's name? The Psychor ad was downright creepy. The reply of the Psychop, given what we have learned of Psychor by now, we're everywhere for your convenience. Sounds more like a threat than anything else. Yeah. And finally, Sheridan shows his leadership and strategy abilities, calling the Centauri bluff. And now for the favorites. Human, I was tempted to go for Sheridan, but I chose to be less conventional and chose Clarence. I mean, David Corwin, for the scene where he is asked if he liked the job. Alien, Londo, Jakar, or Delenn? Difficult choice. They're all excellent here. I will go for Delenn. Quotes. Here are a few. Jakar. You have experienced much the same on your world. There are humans for whom the words never again carry special meaning, as they do for us. Delenn. Humans share one unique quality. They build communities. If the Narn or the Centauri or any other race built a station like this, it would be used only by their own people. 
but everywhere humans go, they create communities out of diverse and sometimes hostile populations. It is a great gift and a terrible responsibility, one that cannot be abandoned. Sheridan, as the commander of, as the commander of record on Babylon 5, I doubt that the Senate would attempt to undermine my position in the negotiations by armchair quarterbacking. Also, Sheridan, we have to make people lift their eyes back to the horizon and see the line of ancestors behind us, saying, make my life have meaning, and to our inheritors before us, saying, create the world we live in. Rating. I quite like this episode. It's a bit of exposition, but packed in a good action story. I give this episode 7.5 out of 10 mass drivers. And that's all, folks. Watch out for shadows. They move when you're not looking. Yan, the Babylon Lurker. Cheers, Yan. Thanks, Yan. Thanks, Yan. Our next piece of feedback is a comment on our website from Tori, who I think is our guest next week. Cool. Wants to have that. Oh, no, wait. I'm sorry. Tori is later on. Oh, I can take it anyway. Tori says, this episode is always a bit of a chore to watch on DVD since so many of the shots have effects on them that means the shots have to be cropped and in many cases really obviously so instead of being framed naturally as they were filmed this is definitely an episode that would benefit from a full special edition treatment I'd agree with that Tori that said this is a solid episode with a lot of layers to be analysed regarding its place in the universe. What's the news bias here? What was left out of the edit of the report? Why were some things left in? What might be the reaction of the in-universe viewers to the events? And then the narrative the news gives of it. As viewers of Babylon 5, this episode puts a lens between us and the characters we usually see without the filter, but it's also an invitation to think about the role news filters play in shaping perception in their world and ours, which really is more than I usually feel like doing all at once, but it is there to be thought about as the story goes forward. Also, Corwin, we finally get to call him by his real name. Yay, Corwin! Um, who? No, we don't. Uh, we don't have to call him. <laughs> <How dare you? laughs> Whatever. Oh, he's, he's still Corwin. He, he's just Clarence to us. Clarence Corwin. <laughs> Thank you, Tori. Thanks, Tori. <laughs> Thanks, Tori. Our next piece of feedback is an email from Lori and Carl. I'll take this one. We are traveling this week, so some brief notes from the ISN special report. 36 hours on Babylon 5. Carl and I enjoy comparing the diplomatic skills of the various ambassadors and staff. Londo was ever the politician and played the interview very well. He looked so sincere in his apologies. We assumed he was full aware of the weapons aboard the ships from the beginning. By contrast, Jakar had no diplomacy skills and just told it like it was while looking in a rage. The call back to the dock worker strike was nice and we get to see the foreman again. We find out Clarence's other name... David Corwin. We loved Ivanova's look in the background as they were asking about how he liked the people he worked for. Sheridan also has great diplomatic skills and was fairly good at working with Cynthia. By contrast, Dr. Franklin was super creepy with the visual in his story about his friend going out the airlock. It was, <laughs> it, it was enough to give me nightmares. I agree. <laughs> 
The shot of the crowd jostling to get on the show was pretty entertaining. It was also a great touch how they pronounced Ivanova's name wrong with her final, and her final response was yes. Carl was very angry at the reporter for being so mean to Delenn. However, it did make her look sympathetic. Was it planned? Also, does she seem more emotional now that she is part definitely. human? Definitely. Yeah, definitely more emotional. I don't think it was planned to make her look sympathetic. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that humans would find her sympathetic as a Mimbari, no matter how much they badgered her. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe on Earth that whole thing would play differently, but we know Delane. Mm-hmm. The Psychor PSA may have been the best scene, but super creepy. Were we wound to find the the Psychor is your friend? Trust the core subliminal. Regarding the new defense grid, Carl predicted it would get used after it was installed. He also called there would be something else big coming through the jump gate during the battle. He has now predicted that since the Narn ship was destroyed, the Narn government would disassociate from the vessel that attacked and said it acted on its own. Overall, Carl said he really liked seeing this sort of episode where you see everything from a different point of view, and we both felt it was done here particularly well. Quote from Delenn. Of course it is, for the simple reason that no one else would ever build a place like this. Humans share one unique quality, they build communities. If the Narns or Centauri or any other race built a station like this, it would be used only by their own people. But humans, but everywhere humans go, they create communities out of diverse and sometimes hostile populations. It is a great gift and a terrible responsibility, one that cannot be abandoned. Hey, hey kitty. Yes, yeah, I'm Ratings. <laughs> Ratings, Carl, three subliminal messages on the new Zero is Par rating system. So that's a 10 out of 10, then? Probably, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I'm just trying to work it out. Zero is Par, and he's rated it three. It's well over Par. Unless he's doing it in golfing terms, which means this is an awful episode, the worst one he's ever seen. It's alien is Kosh, so he agreed with us. And human is the kid in the PSA. <laughs> Lori, nine out of ten Psychor PSAs. Alien, Delin for the crying scene. And human Cynthia Torkman. Oh thank you, Lori and Cheers, Carl. Cheers, Lori and Thanks, Carl. Guys. It was always good hearing both of your thoughts. And the last piece of feedback is an email from Anka. Who wants that one? I can take it. I interrupt my regular Sunday afternoon to bring you the following special review. I don't know how to say that because I think many Babylon 5 fans like the experiment that this episode is. But for me, it was a bit annoying. While the conflict between the Centauri and Narn evolves to a new level, shooting and conflict outside the station, all the time this lady gets in the way and distracts from the conflict. I would have enjoyed this episode so much more if it had not taken place in such a weird news story narration, or better, if it had been two episodes, with the news story being about some other Alien of the Week conflict. Unfortunately, also some of the reporting, filming, and editing seemed very cheap to me. But I have to say that I liked the idea of a reporter coming to the station. Why they don't have a local ISN person makes me wonder. I liked how Cynthia tried to cover it all up. Cover it? Okay. 
Let me start that again. I liked how Cynthia tried to cover it up all the time by asking fair questions, but her attitude showed clearly what her political views were. How she put the how she put Delenn on the spot made me cringe, maybe just because I liked Delenn. However, the questions were definitely eligible, and Delenn should have had a better way of dealing with it, answering politely with a statement that she should have thought of beforehand, maybe at the time she had gone through the change. But I guess it is supposed to show one more time in which difficult situation Delenn has brought herself, and that the station seems to be the only place in the universe she still belongs. Londo and Jakar, as well as Sheridan, were fantastic in the council meeting scene. The tension was so believable, amazing acting, with all that is going on. Ivanova was also, while staying calm throughout the crisis in CNC, while a camera was pointed at her all the time. She was certainly dealing better with the news team than Delenn, and we all know Ivanova can be, diff- can be different. <laughs> she has learned much in the last months of diplomacy training. <laughs> Well, also, for all the other characters, we learn a lot from an outsider perspective. Sometimes I had the feeling it was unreal, just because I couldn't stand this outsider. Sorry, Cynthia Torkman, that presented all that inside. Best quote. I hope to get through this interview without getting fired. How's that for a start? Human of the week, Ivanova, for being the perfect diplomat. Alien of the week, Alien of the week. Londo, maybe? I like how he was constantly trying to advertise the good relations to Earth to win them over. I give it 6 out of 10 ISN awkward. I hope awkward. I hope there is a ladder somewhere. News studios. <laughs> this was on the <laughs> down below. Reviews in Vancouver, BC. Thanks, Anka. Thanks. Oh, thanks, Anka. And Thank I have you, to Anka. say, there is ISN news team on Babylon 5. Haven't you been hearing the reports we've been putting out each week? <laughs> That's right. I don't care. <laughs> Just because you've never heard them until now, it's an our fault. <laughs> they were lost transmissions. Exactly. Thanks for all the feedback, everybody. We really do enjoy hearing what you have to say. If you want to send us feedback, you can send it to mail at downbelowpodcast.com or you can leave us a comment on our website, downbelowpodcast.com or leave us a comment in the Facebook group. And you can also leave us a review on iTunes. Alrighty, now it's time for predictions. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) The name of the next episode is In the Shadow of Zaha Doom. Seriously. Zaha Doom, they mentioned that before. What was that? Um, Oh, when did they mention that? Yeah, it's in my head. It sounded like Lord of the Rings. Uh huh. Or The Mummy. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Can you remind us where we've heard that before? It was where Jakar sent that ship and it was destroyed oh, by the space yeah. fighters. Oh. Uh, the title of the episode, once again, is called In the Shadow, Shadow. of Zaha Doom. So more about the shadows. We know there's Yeah, shadows, there right? has to be shadows. Um, They're definitely... Maybe there's survivors? Were there survivors? Seems like there was a few survivors. Um, so well, they were the ones see that something. came in and, and saw it, right? But yeah. that everybody was dead or something? Yeah, I can't remember if everyone died, though, or not. I hmm. think that everybody died except for the ones that came to look. I'm, 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 I'm not know for sure. Well, well it's going to be about the, the war, <laughs> I think. 
So Morgan will, maybe will show up, so that'll be good. Yeah, that could be good. I mean, eh, well, I don't know. Like, we've, we've had a lot about the Darn Centauri War now, so maybe they'll bring a new dimension into it, like um, the shadows will tip the scales in one direction or something like that. Um, maybe... Um, maybe Morden has <laughs> has given Londo all the help that he's going to, and now it's time to grant the Narn's wishes. Uh, yeah, because we still don't know why they are taking wishes at all, like uh, granting wishes at all. Right, because uh, he asked everyone what they wanted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jeannie Morden. Jeannie Morden, <laughs> yeah. I feel like the shadows are trapped somehow. Like they can't really, I don't know. They're 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 in some kind of like they can't do exactly what they need to do, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason, whatever it is, whether they're and that these can't be it. They, these spider ships can't be it. There's got to be something else, some other being or something behind it, maybe. Yeah, so maybe we'll learn more about that. Overall predictions. What episode are we on right now? Like, what number was this? This was 15. So we're getting closer to the end of the season. I feel like this has got to pick up even more. Like, tons has been happening. But I feel like it's got to be, like, ramping up to something. Um, Since we're already in a war, I'm wondering... I'm wondering, like, what the end of the season could possibly bring... I feel like there's got to be some kind of huge, like, annihilation type event or something. Mm-hmm. Some I don't like, feel like they can destroy Babylon 5 because that's the name of the show. <laughs> but they could maybe wipe out all Narn or all Centauri. Or... That's kind of where I was thinking. That's yeah. That's kind of where my mind was going, but... I feel like we can't wrap it up this season. There's no way. No. Like, we may be able to wrap up some of the non the Narn Centauri stuff, but like the shadows, I mean, that would be kind of anticlimactic then if we just wrapped it all up. Right. Um, do you think that the um, Earth Gov will just pick a side this season? I feel like they're going to have to very soon. Yeah. Mm. I know. So I think, what did I say? Uh, Centauri? Oh no! I, yeah, I said Centauri. Because That's right, and I went with Narn so that we could we could uh, have a yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that um, well, I hope that we're going to see more of uh, Kosh training Sheridan because <laughs> <laughs> because we just need to. You oh, just yeah, haven't sure. seen that montage yet, have you? That's Not right. Yet. I'm waiting for the training montage. Yep, that would be epic. Yeah. So, um, maybe Talia comes back soon, hopefully. <laughs> in a, in a Psychor commercial. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I definitely think they kind of talk, you know, kind of underscored some of the stuff that's going on behind the scenes at Earth. Um, you kind of the recurring themes of President Clark and, um, mm. not anti-alien sentiment, but they, the focus on Earth issues. Um, and then of course the Psychor, which I don't really, I can't quite figure out where that's going, but not like I can really figure out anything, but I really don't have a good sense of where that's going. No. 
I don't really either. It seems like they're building them up to like try and take over or something, but right. But, but I just end, don't. I guess, in the show, it's hard to yeah figure. So yeah, I think that's all I have. Okay, yeah, those were some nice predictions. I can't believe we're going to be on episode sixteen, though. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Shay, thank you for joining us once again. It was great oh, to have pleasure. you back. Thanks, Shane. My pleasure. So tell us where we can find you. I hear you've started a new podcast. I certainly have, Don. I certainly have. Uh, <coughs> I've started the uh, In the Village, a prisoner intro cast. Uh, episode two just went out this past Saturday, uh, dealing with the 1967 classic science fiction television program, The Prisoner. Yeah. Uh. Nice. Uh, I still do the Red Dwarf Intracast. So, do that, you still are you still doing your other? Yep, I'm still doing the Red Dwarf Intracast. We still got one episode of that to be recorded, and that will be recorded at the end of this month. And I also do the Oh No You Didn't podcast. However, that it's a bit of, uh, having a bit of a hiatus at the moment, but hopefully that will be back sometime after Christmas. Cool. Yeah, busy that night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's all we have for this week, folks. We'll be back next time for In the Shadow of Zaha Doom. And until then, goodbye. Bye-bye, everybody. Trust the call. John, why aren't you outside playing with the other kids? They hate me. Now, John, it's true. I'm just... I'm different, Mom. I can feel what they think about me, and they know I can. I called one of them a liar because I knew he wasn't telling the truth somehow. And he just kept hitting me until I said I was the liar. I just don't know what to do anymore. Don't worry, Johnny. We'll take care of it from here. Mom, look, a psychop. That's right, Johnny. You know, there are a lot of other kids who feel just the same way you do. They're confused and afraid, but they don't have to be. The problem isn't that other kids don't like you. It's that they don't understand you. But we do. You're special. You're a latent telepath about to come into full bloom. My Johnny, a telepath? Probably. But to be sure, take him down to the Psycor Testing Center first thing tomorrow. How do I find one? We're everywhere. For your convenience. We have offices and schools and children's hospitals. We even have mobile testing centers that travel the country. And if he qualifies, we'll give him an education job a purpose and we'll pay all his bills for life oh. oh john i can't believe it you've come so far just look at you we're all so proud and i'm proud to be part of the psychor so remember if you know someone who might be a telepath or think you might be one yourself help them get the help they need call the core Call Government Information for more on a PsyCorps Center near you. This message has been brought to you by the Ministry for Public Information and your local PsyCorps Recruitment Office. Look for us on the web in iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. Also, downbelowpodcast.com, facebook.com slash group slash downbelowpodcast, and twitter.com slash downbelowcast. 